0: Sometimes, big decisions and big breakthroughs can only happen after big meetings. It's true in real life, and it's true on TV.
1: Our courtroom
2: observers have reached a split decision. Judge Wapner's decision is coming right up. Gretchen, I need you to bring me your torch.
3: The tribe has spoken.
4: In this
0: boardroom, we've never had a team lose so badly. You're all fired. All four are fired. One of the most compelling closed-door meetings in music history happened nearly three decades ago, in December 1990. A world-famous rock band began recording their seventh album in Hansa studio in Berlin, West Germany, just steps from where the Berlin Wall had opened for the very first time. In fact, the band picked Berlin to be their recording home because they knew that they were at a crossroads. They ended their 1989 tour by declaring from the stage, quote, "We have to go away and dream it all up again." So much change, energy, revolution, and upheaval was happening in Germany that the band turned to it for inspiration. yet it seemed on the surface that the only thing being birthed was conflict. There was so much disagreement in the studio on the creative direction of the band that things almost came to blows between band members. Even their main producer could not get on the same page as the band. The tension had crescendoed. The impasse seemed insurmountable. And so they did what many bands do when they hit that wall. They decided to call it quits. That was the best and seemed like the only solution. Except this was no fly-by-night band. This decision would impact music history. Because that day almost became the end of the band U2. Daniel Lanois was U2's day-to-day producer, and he was directly involved in the tensions between bandmates. Thankfully, the band had a second producer, Brian Eno, who was involved with the creative direction and only came to the studio sporadically. Brian came to Berlin for a few days that December and found the band near implosion levels. He called an emergency meeting. He was able to show the band that they could pursue both solid song structure and innovation. He even helped them understand that the tension they were going through could be pointed in a positive, creative direction. Right there in that meeting, they were all asked to pick up their instruments and start fiddling around by playing a couple of chord progressions from an early demo. They started improvising and magic started happening. In 15 minutes flat, they had an inspired new song. One that would soon be recognized as one of U2's greatest hits and one of pop music's all-time greatest songs. the song 1 by U2 became the number one song in Ireland number one in Canada and number one on two different billboard charts in the U.S. Rolling Stone cited it as one of the 500 greatest songs of all time at number 36 which was the highest ranking U2 song on the list. That closed-door meeting not only produced one of the greatest songs in pop music history, it kept one of the greatest rock bands of all time from breaking up. It gave them the common ground to continue to pursue their creative ambitions together. It allowed them to move forward and finish their ambitious seventh studio album, Octang Baby. Since its release date of November 18, 1991, Akdung Baby has sold 18 million albums worldwide. Oftentimes, all we hear about is the success story, the stuff that happens after the album is released into the world. But a lot of blood, sweat, tears, sometimes fistfights, and even a few closed-door meetings have to take place to make that release date a reality. From UTR Media, I'm Dave Trout, and this is Release Date. fall of 2016, I started to pursue the idea of creating a Rich Mullins tribute album. Originally, I wanted this to be a part of some of the celebration that was happening around the 20th anniversary of Rich's passing, which was commemorated in September of 2017. Both Andrew Greer and Andrew Osenga became involved in the project and they quickly started pitching the the idea of this tribute to some folks in Nashville who might be able to provide the full funding needed to create this album in a professional manner. By late spring 2017, we realized that those avenues were dead ends and that we probably weren't going to get outside funding for this project and it probably was not going to be produced in time for the 20th anniversary celebration. Two of the biggest pieces of this project were timing and funding, and neither of them seemed to be working. So should we even continue to pursue this project at all? Here's a piece of a recorded phone call with Andrew Greer in June 2017.
5: This does not not have to happen. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. It can happen. And and you kinda of challenged me that in the text challenged me on that saying, but well, we gotta have a timeline and you're and you're exactly right. So I have been feeling a bit defeated by just constant like does anyone else see this as a passion project? I know no one's right. gonna pay anything, you know, but like is anyone else see it for what it is, and if anyone else wants to be my partner in that, we can work out with Dave the three of us, of what that looks like on the back end, I don't totally feel comfortable. One of the reasons i am been a little hesitant, my own personal caution, I don't feel totally comfortable helming this record as a producer by myself. And not because I don't think I can produce something well, but because this is a legacy that even I feel the weight of. and. Yeah. I do want someone just to lean on, someone to say, hey, what do you think about that? And then say that to me, too. But I think that's an important component of this.
0: We thought for a while that that extra set of eyes and ears would be Andrew Osenga. But that was contingent on us finding proper funding for the album, which didn't happen. So Osenga had to back out. This left Andrew with the idea of recruiting someone. And not just anyone—Rich Mullins' career-long producer, Reed Arvin.
5: Yeah. So Reed and I had coffee the other day just to talk about his potential involvement in co-producing uh, this Rich tribute record. This would really be the first thing that he had touched that touches Rich, you know, since the last record they did together. And the last record they did together was Liturgy Legacy and Ragmuffin Band. So pretty significant if he came out of the woodwork to do this so we just briefly touched on what that might look like kind of the emotions around that for him and if he would even be interested yeah this is my i'll tell you this this is my last straw of this direction like the reed thing i think the reed thing is potentially an amazing uh possibility and i'll talk a little bit more about our meeting here in a second and why i think it could be amazing uh and you talk about someone who if he's is wants to do it very open-hearted you know about it
0: this conversation took place shortly after andrew greer had met with reed arvin to broach the topic of this tribute album him being involved um, but we were waiting for reed's response we both knew that the potential of getting reed arvin involved in this tribute was huge a difference maker Andrew shares more about their conversation and
5: reads potential interest. But I think he might even want to know, like maybe he's already ruminating in his head, this is speculation, what he would like to do with the record if he were a part of it and how even that would interplay with me and you. But now he wants to hear what artists are thinking just to see if there's any, is there already synergy there? Oh, this will be a fun, this will be easy, you know, Or, or okay, because he's worked with artists long enough to know that you can try to put them in a in a hole, you can try to say, "Here's the space I need you," and do it. And most of the time, especially with the artists we're talking about, that's not going to work. Um, yeah. And, and or it's not going to be the best product. It may work. They may say, "Sure, I'll come sing that vocal because I want to be on the Rich project." But it's not like he said, "I want to hear these songs." He said, "The cover records I've enjoyed, I heard the songs not in a new way." But I heard him for the first time. He said, I think if we're going to cover rich songs, I want artists to both, I want us to both conceptually make this happen and steer and be beautiful and work. But I want them to feel the space and breath to deliver it in a way that when someone listens back to Hold Me Jesus again or to even a deep cut, that they're like, I didn't even know I liked that song. (laughs) You know Mm -hmm, like mm There's songs that they didn't even know they liked Or that were kind of just Deep cut rich tracks You know that they've heard a thousand times While listening to the record But never thought anything about it So He said there was a Mark Kahn covers record um, And he had a Paul There was a Paul Simon song That Reed said he loves Paul Simon But he never thought anything of that song And then when he heard this Covers record And it was on there He was like why have I never heard that song, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And I have the same experience with the Bruce Springsteen song that Patty Griffin did. So I think, I love that he, that was his comments about this. I mean, he's, it's, it's not impossible. It's just very, it's giving a certain level of artistic integrity before you even go off, go out to shoot, you know?
0: So a meeting was needed. Yes, a potentially infamous closed-door meeting to find out how much traction this project had to move forward. This meeting may be a necessity to even get Reed interested in being a part of the project. So who exactly is this dream team that Andrew Greer wanted to assemble?
5: I'll pitch out who some of my name's initial thoughts that I think are must-haves. You know, I think we agree, Andrew Peterson and Jason Gray are two really great um, kind of banner artists for it. Um, I texted Andy O, and Andy was very excited, which I thought was great, because I didn't know if he'd be like, well, now that I'm not really co producer yeah. part of it, he was like, oh, that would be awesome. And I think Andy just still wants to weigh in on something rich-related. P said, thanks for keeping me in the loop. I said, of course I'm keeping you in the loop. You're important. And Jason, same thing. You're important. Andy, same thing. Those are three people I personally find important, not because I need their opinion to dictate the, the flow of this. I'm secure enough. Rina had a great coffee. I did not know how it would turn out. And he said, and if we find out no one can meet, maybe that's our answer right there, you know, um, at least for his involvement. So, but that doesn't look like the case. Um, everyone's interested in meeting. We just have to find the right date. It looks like that's going to be the week of the 19th when everyone's back in town. And I'll let you know as soon as we land on a couple of dates that are possible. Yeah. yeah.
0: So the invitations went out for this special meeting. Besides Andrew and myself, we were inviting Reed Arvin, Andrew Peterson, Jason Gray, and our good old buddy, Andy Osenga, who was a part of the project, but then had to back out. And so I asked Andy, some of his thoughts that were going through his mind in the days before this meeting.
2: I was really excited to go into this meeting with the guys and with Reed. Um, I'd never met Reed before until that day. And, uh, you know, such a huge fan of those records. I mean, particularly the last, like, three, The World is the Best as I Remember It, Volume 1 and 2, and Liturgy Legacy. Just the sounds, man, the arrangements. Never really heard anybody that, that treated percussion and piano like together the way that he does, and uh, even realizing just how much of those records were made by Reed, because Rich would just sort of show up, play a bit of a song, and disappear all day, and, you know, come back with a different pair of shoes for some reason.
0: When we come back, we'll take you behind closed doors for some recorded footage of this all-star meeting in Nashville. It's next on Release Date.
1: This UTR media production is sponsored by Resonate. Hi, this is singer-songwriter Brianna Gaither, and alongside my music, I am also the founder and director of Resonate, a community that connects and equips Christian creatives to grow and build each other up. This isn't just a group for the vocationally creative, but this is an invitation to all of us, because we believe that each human carries a unique creative gift from God that the world would not be the same without. Our website is ResonateCampaign.com and there you'll find some helpful resources like a Bible app reading plan, a 13-week creativity school, our online community and a full-length documentary our team created on the theology of creativity. For a limited time, if you're one of the first hundred people to use the code UTR, you will get 50% off your purchase of the documentary. So again, the resources and documentary are at ResonateCampaign.com. For a limited time, place your bids on the UTR
5: Media Spring Charity Auction. Win some unique music packages while supporting the world of gourmet music at the same time. Win a discography of J.J. Heller. Sign copies of all the Wingfeather Saga books, digital downloads, Andrew Osenga drinkware, and more. Place your bids now and hurry. The auction closes on April 30th. View all the packages and bid on the UTR Media Facebook page or find the link at utrmedia.org.
6: It's an indie music lover's dream getaway. Join us for UTR Media's flagship event, Escape to the Lake 2018, coming this July to Cedar Lake, Indiana. It's a time to be spiritually, emotionally, and musically refreshed. We'll have bonfires, devotions, small group lessons, live podcasts, a music game show, and live concerts from folks like Andrew Osanga, Jess Ray, Nick Flora, Wild Harbors, and nearly a dozen other artists. Early bird discounts are available now for a limited time. Find all the details and register online at EscapeToTheLake.net.
0: It's late June, 2017. It's the day of the big meeting and it's taking place at the chapter house on the Warren. Now, (laughs) if you're an Andrew Peterson nerd, you know right away what I'm talking about. Uh, Basically, uh, uh, that was code for uh, the back house at Andrew Peterson's property. Okay. Yes, AP likes to name his buildings and, and property and... Guess what? You're probably thinking in your head what you could name your house. It's not a bad idea. And much to our delight, this dream team that, that Andrew Greer really wanted to put together, everybody could make it. Everyone was there. So this meeting consisted of, of course, Andrew Greer kind of leading the meeting. Um, and then there was Reed Arvin, Andrew Peterson, Jason Gray, and andrew osenga and because i live in chicago i was there through speakerphone there were several minutes of pleasantries and kind of catching up and getting to know each other in the group and uh, then the meeting was set to begin uh well
2: okay so dave do you know dave trout
6: We've talked about Dave yeah, okay. at Radar Radio or oh, yeah, Radar Media, UTR Media, whatever So
2: he wants to be on speakerphone for this conversation, so I'm going to call okay. him. That's cool with everybody? Yeah. Sure. Put him on speakerphone. Let's see if I want to move this I'm Still. So,
6: for the sake time. of your time, I don't want you yeah. to be too late, whatever we can start. Thank you for accommodating. Yeah. Hey, Dave.
2: Uh, can you, hey, can you hear me? Yeah. Hear you. Okay, you're, you're sitting on a... on. Um, what would you say this is? This is an ottoman. Yeah, an ottoman uh, in the middle of a group of awesome people. Excellent.
6: Then
0: the floor is given to Andrew Greer to tell us why now? Why this meeting? What's the purpose of this gathering? We all know
6: kind of the labor of this possible project that has been in several forms and stages over the past, I don't know, ever since Dave had a, or whatever you call it. Yeah, on his Kickstarter. Yeah. And which was maybe late last year, and <clears> then I think <clears throat> you guys had some conversations just casually over beers and such in January or February, and then Dave and I had conversations around the same time, etc. Of course, probably the only reason I'm looped into it is because of the book product, uh, with Worthy, and just because I was culminating all these stories, et cetera, about Rich, and of course, um, a lot of us have been involved in that in different ways. So, uh, Reed and I met maybe a mu- almost a month ago now, I guess, after Andy and I went through a lot of dead ends, which weren't really dead ends as far as um, desire, I guess, but more dead ends of yeah. the timeline mainly. And then, everyone's always interested from a label standpoint, of course, when there's a lot more of a bottom line to understand. Um, celebrating a life that has been gone for 20 years is a difficult thing to do in any industry. Um, it's just a niche audience, you know, and it's finding that audience. So I think that was also probably part of the hesitation as well Is short window. It's hard to quantify the audience. Now, if you've listened to the previous episodes of this
0: podcast, you know this is just review material, uh, but a good summarization of where we're
6: at right now as Andrew updates this group.
5: We're just talking, is there, okay, this is obviously
6: a passion project if anybody is involved. This is not something that we're going to to make our year, or our month, or even probably our week. It's not going to really afford your cafe. So um, it's something that has to be done because there's potentially a window of time where this can be done effectively but yet still with lots of impact obviously I think all of us in this room from a creative standpoint are not ones to flippantly go into anything if we don't feel like what we're going to come out with is something that matters and of course then you stack on top of that the responsibility but does it matter to this wider audience who appreciated Rich and then a wider legacy that goes beyond any audience or anyone speaking into it any longer it already is you know, if that makes sense so I just thought about Reed. Reed and I uh, met... Andrew you know, goes came on came to share
0: about, about why each person was brought to the table and, and the, the and, unique uh, contribution that uh, each just, person hey, can bring well, to a project sorry. like this. You're and just so open glad. it up for <laughs> some possible dreaming. Four, so, um, dreaming. Here's thoughts from Reed Arvin.
7: In our first conversation, Andrew had said, well, the only way to make it work is to just really pre-produce it and make it really streamlined for everybody. And I just thought... Mm-hmm uh, I wasn't very interested in doing that, that I thought, you named some of the people who were involved or who might be involved, mm-hmm. and I thought every one of those people really knows how to make a record, you know, everybody in this room has made at least one record that they're proud of, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, and I'm older than you guys, but I just, I wished I'd learned this 30 years ago, is... Sort of the ultimate value of joy, Hmm. and I I realize I've done a lot of things and bought a lot of things for other reasons. And sometimes that's okay. Sometimes you just have to grind something out. But just feeling like if there's a way to do this joyfully, that that's probably a convers would come out of a conversation. And I remember saying to you, if we got it, and I didn't know who would come. We got some people in the room. Maybe somebody's got an idea about how to do it rather than impose an idea about how to do it. Maybe somebody has, well, here's, here's what I'd like to do, and then everybody else goes, that sounds fantastic. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really have a plan. I just thought with this kind of brain power, why would you not want to open up the conversation and go, well, if you were going to do something, what would you do? And maybe everybody kind of gather around that.
0: Well, everyone was percolating on that idea, and to create a little context for the conversation, Reed talked for the next 10 to 15 minutes about the overall picture of the career of Rich Mullins and and him working with Rich on the various albums, especially focused on the trajectory of the last few albums of his career. And then we pass it to Andrew Peterson,
3: the The thought of there being a room full of people, kind of wood shopping the songs, and kind of like yeah. playing it as as live as possible,
7: mm-hmm.
3: so that it sounded like community doing it, yeah, um, was kind of like the initial kind of like seed of a thought that I had. So hearing you say that kind of makes me wonder if that's like the right track. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that it wasn't produced like. So so that it sounds like a record, mm-hmm, you yeah. know, like it's like a, a group of like great musicians, mostly the same band,
0: as opposed to like a track with a vocalist. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: More sending in tracks. But. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. That's always the record that I envisioned. Mm-hmm. Was just getting some talented people together who love these songs, and get Come letting on. them have a chance to mm. to rediscover these songs, you know, and mm-hmm. you know the catch is like that costs money, you know. Yeah, studio and well, it's it, it's a lot cheaper to work one guy in a basement than it is to get.
6: It is or it isn't. If I mean, it is. But if we're talking passion project, like I'm ready to ask those things of people. Yeah. you want to be a part. Of, you know, like this. It's a if it's a true communal thing, it's a true communal thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you you either can or can't. You know, and that's okay. I I want to interject something real quick about like what you're saying about that. I remember you telling me like some of our favorite some of your favorite, I think, or you had heard a song, a cover, of something that had been reimagined in such a way it was as if you were hearing it for the first time. Mark
7: Cohn's 1970. Oh, gosh, that record's awesome. Yeah. And when you listen to that song, you realize, oh, I never, in the original... You remember which song? The lyric, especially Paul Simon's The Only Living Boy Uh, in New York. That's it, that's it. 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 That was the first time that that the melancholy of that song really penetrated me, where I mm-hmm. felt like, mm-hmm. you're you in the city of New York and you feel completely alone. Yeah. And Every time. Uh, every time. <laughs> and I think, the reason I brought that up was I think a lot of Rich's lyrics are like that. For one thing, hmm. there are so many words that you can't <laughs> grasp them all. <laughs> And so it's so stripping them down. And also, he would sing so badly. on He sang badly, but he sang really badly on the dates. You mentioned... Uh, <laughs> on the On the, on the, <laughs> on the, on the dates, like, on tour, right?
6: You mentioned right?
7: calling out your name, right? Uh-huh. That vocal was cut at the castle when I played Rich the mix. Because mm. I had no vocal.
3: Because he had already sung it, but none of them were it.
7: Uh, completely unusable. <laughs> and so I said, hey, Rich, do you want to hear this mix? And he goes, yeah. He goes, well, go out here and listen to it. I put headphones on his head. Couldn't get a level. I just said to Tom Lonnie, push record. I said, sing along. That's on the record. No way. That's the vocal. That's the closest stuff. That's how... I was just trying to get that's something. That's crazy. Yeah. And that's why it's kind of grainy and then it kind of clears up because Tom's <laughs> kind of go, don't touch it, babe. Because it'll change in his headphones or something. Because he's somewhat singing. My point is there's no diction. He kind of had contempt for diction. He thought it was kind of uncool. He thought it was kind of Sinatra-ish. Because oh. Sinatra was such a great, you know, he really and I'd have these I long arguments with him, not arguments, but just go, Rich. The lyric in your music is sort of the thing. <laughs> and, but he just couldn't... So I think there are these hidden gems of songs that have these potent lyrics. I personally would get excited about in the same way that that Marcone record mm-hmm. did for me to go, man, would love for some of these lyrics to come forward and, and have the impact as poetry mm-hmm. that they really contain. And that's
3: the thing that, like, I always loved about Rich's songs is like you could hear inside there that there was some like people who love Rich Mullins. I I my theory is that they tend to resonate with that part of what he did. You know what I mean? Sure, that yeah. Deep, mm-hmm. like raw, painful beauty. I don't know what I'm saying, but you know you get what I'm saying. So if the record, the new record, like, so what I would what makes me nervous about. Recording a, a Rich Mullins tribute thing is like what you don't want is to make a record that only old Rich Mullins fans will hear. Like, what we yeah. want to do is make a record that, like, my kids will actually listen yes, to. Yes, you know what I mean? Yes. And, like, the next generation yes. is going to get excited about and kind of go, oh, whoa, that guy was amazing, you know? Yeah. Like you were saying. So, and uh, so the way to do that is to just like clean the chalkboard off and go, how do we completely. Create a work, make this record a work of art more than just like a tribute yeah. to yeah. a bunch of songs and like whatever, and like people going, oh, cool, new takes on the songs, but like, how do you do it? Make a 1989 out of, of Rich Bond's yeah. deep cuts, you know? I mean.
2: I mean yeah, I've been planning oh, yeah. on producing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <That's laughs> like right. every conversation I've had yeah. was. It started out with Dave saying he was going to. What had happened to me was Dave, who's Dave, probably, are you still, still there, listening? by there? Dave Trout? <laughs> uh, uh, but Dave saying we were over at Christopher William's house and you and I and Dave sitting there drinking wine having mm-hmm. a conversation, he was saying he was gonna do this record, and you and I looked at each other and we're like please l- don't like l- uh, these records could happen where people just send in MP3s of things yeah. and it's like it just felt like a wasted opportunity of doing something mm-hmm. like this, cohesive yes. and mm-hmm. And so I, I remember saying to Dave, like, "Hey, if I can help, I would love to help. Whether that's just overseeing, sort of an aR perspective, just making sure people get yeah. things in in time and formats, and being able to make revisions, and or like producing something." And yeah. so, uh, you know, so I, you know, Andrew and I spent a lot of time talking about what kind of, you know, and it was this record. I mean, it's you know, I had a couple, of, I mapped out a couple of kind of thematic ideas, you know, and. Of different ways of getting voices to blend together there's a couple great melodies that flow throughout these those records you know classic either woes or ooze or just instrumental melodies where mm-hmm. you could do something where you could have every single person who sings on these records sing that same melody yeah. you just get, get these sort of that the, the, you know records have things that are unique to just them if there's this sound it's just this three or four melodies mm-hmm. that have 30 voices mm-hmm. Uh, to me, like, there's so many cool things you could do that are unique and that are cool and I think would be really
0: honored. This was something amazing to listen in on. The creative dam had burst and out came flowing all these different ideas and excitement and joy about about producing. Um, a high-quality Rich Mullins tribute album. But one of the purposes of this meeting was for Reed to determine for himself if he wanted to be a part of this project. After all, he had countless opportunities to do Rich Mullins related things over the last 20 years and has refused nearly all of them.
7: Over the years, uh, of course, less and less as you get more removed get asked to do this or that and I have all, I've never said yes to anything and I'm most of all hesitant to do anything about Rich because I don't want to do anything that ends up reflecting badly Mm. on what we did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's my Mm -hmm. number one concern is we ended on a high point (laughs) and I don't want to like go, oh, but then he did that.
1: Yeah, you
7: know, uh, <laughs> that's a good. Yeah, that's yeah, nice, yeah. Yeah. So, I, but I am. Uh, the fact that everybody sort of perked up when we started talking about the Mark Cohn record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh man. Is deep is very reassuring to me. Yeah. Well, I'm happy through. to be. I'm happy to be involved if, if you guys are.
0: For Reed Arvin to essentially come out of musical retirement to produce a tribute album that is connected to Rich Mullins, it's monumental, no doubt. A huge turn of events at this meeting. Now, of course, we're just featuring some highlights, uh, but this meeting went for over an hour and forty-five minutes, so there was a lot of Rich stories, a lot of laughter. And a lot of dreaming about what this new project could be. It was a really exciting time. But I do want to play this interesting clip of a question that was posed to Reed.
2: what kind of records do you think if you would have kept making records of them, What would they be sounding uh, like? What would he be doing
7: right now? Yeah, uh, I was about to ask that. Same well, thing. I think that this is an interesting question. Uh, I think we would have continued in the direction of Brothers Keeper and been, been more of a band approach, cut more live, and probably it would have gotten progressively uh, grittier. Hmm. What I sent back a picture of Dave Grohl, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I said, here's what I would do. I would print this picture in (laughs) high resolution and I would put it on the wall. And I would look at that picture and I would ask myself, is Dave happy? (laughs) I love (laughs) that dude. I love that so much. And if he isn't, I'm not, something's not right. Yeah. (laughs) Because Grohl's not about a particular kind of music. It's just that uncompromising purity of music. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter to him if it's bluegrass. Yeah. And that that to me is where we would try, not to have his talent, but try to go, to go whatever we're doing to make it more pure, Mm -hmm. more more direct, more potent, and more uncompromising.
4: What do you think?
7: I would love to make a record that Dave Grohl would be happy with.
3: (laughs) Me too.
0: Looking back, it seems like this meeting was a necessity, even a turning point in the making of this project, building new momentum and increased buy-in and participation. I asked Andrew Greer to share what was going
6: on in his mind right after the meeting took place. And my feelings were incredibly positive. I was not sure that... I wasn't sure who would actually want to be a part of this record. So the fact that we were all meeting was I felt positive about, but I didn't have necessarily high or many expectations leaving it. I thought it may either turn back to Osenga and me kind of guiding a multi-artist new generation project that would probably involve these guys in some way, but not necessarily be the brainstorm of all of us to leaving and then hearing, just hearing the positivity uh, from Andrew Peterson and from Jason and from Reed And I think maybe I can't speak for them. They can speak for themselves. But from what I observed and heard, there was a little bit of surprise even in their own desire at that point after the meeting to participate. I think we just felt like it was more of that grassroots feel, which feels more like Rich. And it feels more like the people who will pick up this project and really want to pick up this project. So I think we left off feeling like, oh, this could be worthy of some rich mullins space and we left kind of all with affirmative so even though this has taken some time which i think any passion project does uh, i think the end result will be
5: because of that meeting
0: release date is a production of utr media it's produced and edited by me, Dave Trout. Special thanks to Andrew Greer, Reed Arvin, Jason Gray, Andy Osenga, Bono, and the guys from U2, and of course, Andrew Peterson.
4: Yo, yo, yo. What up, homie? I'm so glad you didn't forget about me.
0: Robot AP? You're back? A surprise appearance?
4: Folk chisel. Happy to be back in the saddle. I thought I might help spike your ratings in the final minute of the episode.
0: Well, that's very thoughtful of you. Um, so while I have you, tell me, what's up with the naming thing? You know, the chapter house, the warren?
4: Let me see. How do I explain this to someone like, well, like, Dave Trout?
0: Hey, now.
4: You see, there are these things called books. They are like... TV shows, but with pages, using words, and there is one book called Jaber Crow by Wendell Berry, it's a total bun, for reels, but be warned, it's around 400 pages, and no pictures, so probably not for Dave Trout. Come on, I can read a book, you know. Sorry dude, gotta run, I'm destroying Randall Goodgame and Settlers of Kiton. Peace out.
0: Thank you to the sponsors of today's show. And of course, thanks to the UTR Media support team who helps to make podcasts just like this possible for your listening enjoyment. If you'd like to make a tax-deductible contribution to help the ministry of UTR Media, you can go to utrmedia.org. On the next episode of Release Date... The Rich Mullins tribute is put on the back burner and then a second all-star meeting helps reignite the project. I'm Dave Trout. Thanks for listening. And don't forget, you can subscribe, rate, and review release dates at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and at utrmedia.org.